All right, time to get things going here. I need a cocktail. I got, uh, I got a special drink this week. From Ireland, I've got some Dingle Gin. My friends Brian and Skippy got this for me. We don't have it available here in the state, or in Missouri anyway. It's available in Chicago. Dingle Gin from County Kerry. Sean Daly, if you're listening, I'm having a little Dingle Gin, having some Fever Tree tonic. It's my cocktail tonight. Little medicinal purposes. You know, I got I do a show on tonic water because there's uh, there's a reason behind it. It's not just for flavoring. There was a medicinal purpose to it. I need to do that sometime. Anyway, um, yeah, we'll put that on the calendar. Now, before I get started with the narration this week, I just wanted to tell you all to uh, make certain you listen all the way through to the end of the show. I've got a special announcement, actually, too. Uh, we've got another event in the works, actually, too. And you will hear all about them right here before anyone else in the closing notes of the podcast. So don't go anywhere until the fat, drunk uncle sings. Now, last week, you'll remember I talked about kumis, and I found out that is the way you say it. That is fermented mare's milk, the preferred alcoholic beverage of the horse culture people from the Asiatic steppes. That's the great plains of Asia that reach from uh, Ukraine on the north shore of the Black Sea all the way east to the Gobi Desert of Mongolia. Anyway, it got me to wondering what other really weird alcoholic beverages might I find if I looked for them. And now there are a lot of weird cocktails, but cocktails are different. That's just a combination. It's a mixture of things that God never intended to go together. It's like like the lunchbox and uh, car bombs and, and a bunch of shots too numerous to name that some bored bartender and late night patrons concocted for whatever reason at the end of the night. Yeah, bloody brain, the tapeworm shot, smoker's cough which is disgusting. It's Jägermeister and mayonnaise. Anyway, but those are just gross mixtures of things that we normally drink or eat in a different context. What I really wanted to find out is what are some of the most truly bizarre alcoholic beverages from different cultures and histories around the world. And what I found... I didn't think it was going to go where it ended up, but somehow I got there. So those of you with weak stomachs, or if you've just finished a large meal, you might want to wait 30 minutes before listening. Or uh, if you're, I mean, if you've got a really sensitive stomach, you might want to have a barf uh, bucket handy. Because today, we're going to look at the weird, wacky, and what the fuck of alcohol. I'm Alan Tatman, and because no good story ever began with... This one time, we were eating a salad. This is history, the story of alcohol. That dingle gin is freaking delicious. If you go to Ireland and you go to the town of Dingle, call out there and call on them and have a tour of their distillery. It's fantastic. Anyway, back to the story. Now, I know there are some odd, strange, and different types of fermented and distilled distilled beverages out there, some of which were created by various cultures out of a necessity to get fucked up. And given limited resources, people will try to make alcohol of whatever they have on hand. Like in prison, they'll make this stuff called pruno or pruny. It's, they, they, they rat hole some fruit 
anything that's got sugar content in it, usually raisins are one of the things they can get a hold of. And they mix it with some water. They throw in some bread in it for yeast. They get it warm and wait a few days. And then they have juice, unless the guards find it first. Now, that doesn't sound very good, but given the circumstances, if you were stuck in prison and you wanted to get fucked up, it's what you would have to do. Now, in researching this, I came across a couple of beverages like this, that is, the making alcohol from whatever you had on hand, like birch sap wine, which is made from, as the name would indicate, the sap of a birch tree, and it's collected at the end of the winter at the beginning of spring, and it's a traditional drink of the Baltic and Scandinavian countries of Northern Europe. And similarly to that is maple sap wine made by the Iroquoian and Algonquin people of northeastern United States and southeastern Canada. Now, both of these could make a drink of low alcohol by primitive isolated peoples, and it's usually of less than 10% alcohol by volume, unless they bolstered it by the addition of some sugar. But you've got to remember now that before the mid-1600s, drink, mid-1600s, sugar was incredibly rare and very, very expensive. So people got drunk with what they had available. But neither of these, birch sap or maple sap wine, are really bizarre. They're just odd to us because the, these drinks in an industrial age have been replaced by other beverages that are more cheaply and easily acquired. So I picked 10 of what I think are some of the most unusual and in some cases unbelievably gross alcoholic beverages in the world. But before we get to the top 10, let me give you my honorable mentions. The first is the live minnow shot. Now this really isn't a beverage that's produced it, it, it is just what it sounds and it comes to us from all places right here in Missouri at Big Dick's Halfway Inn and Gravois Mills. Now you take a live shiner minnow and you drop it in a shot of something it doesn't matter what and you drink the whole thing down in one swoop. Now this probably started with a bet at some point some drunk boaters off of the Lake of the Ozarks came up with this and now it has become a tradition at down at Big Dick's. Now, related to this story, do you know what the most commonly said last words are in the state of Missouri? Hey everybody, watch this. Also an honorable mention goes out to all of the wines and liqueurs that have insects, scorpions, centipedes, and a couple of these I kind of talk about later. Bugs soaking in them before they're consumed. One that we are most probably familiar with here in the U.S. comes from our neighbors to the south, Mezcal, which is a close family member of tequila, in which a moth larva is put into the bottle. And it is said that if you eat the worm, you'll have visions. And I used to do this quite frequently back in my college days when I was much younger and stupider. Uh, but the only visions I usually had from eating the worm were the backsides of my eyeballs. And the other honorable mention tonight goes to Yogurito. Yogurito. Y-O-G-U-R-I-T-O. Yogurito. It's made in Holland, it's bottled in France, and it's only sold exclusively in Japan. 
The bizarre thing about it is that people for years thought it was made from yogurt. It looks like a thin yogurt. It tastes kind of like a yogurt. But recently, a representative from Suntory Liquors, a Japanese company, stated that it was not yogurt, and he would not divulge what it was made from. And he said, quote, we cannot say that it is healthy. It's available in Japan and nowhere else. And since Suntory has not tried to distribute it and sell it to other countries where it might be looked at with closer scrutiny, we have no, absolute, no fucking idea of what is in Yogurito. Kind of like Taco Bell meat filling. And now, on to the top 10 most bizarre drinks in the world, according to the research team here at History, which that means me. At number 10, what we talked about last week is kumis, or arik. Now, I talked about this, but I didn't go into great deal. I just kind of mentioned it in association with the people of the Asi- Asiatic steppes. Now, even in Russia and Mongolia today, the Mongols call the drink arak. Mares are bred and kept exclusively for the production of horse milk. See, the mare is coaxed into allowing humans to milk her because, by allowing a foal to be introduced to the mare, and just as the foal's about ready to suckle, it'll be gently pulled away, but not so much that it's not touching the mare, and then a person's hand will go up and they'll milk the mare. Yeah, apparently, a mare cannot tell the difference between a human hand and a foal's mouth. Now, the milking team will take approximately half of the milk that the mare has produced at this time, leaving the others for the foal. Now, remember, these mares are bred uh, to produce higher quantities of milk. Now, the raw unpoisoned... So, the foal isn't going hungry, okay? The foal is fine. He's getting plenty or she's getting plenty to eat. Now, the raw unpasteurized milk, which is much higher in lactose sugars than cow's milk, is initially stirred... And then naturally occurring yeast will begin to turn the lactose into alcohol over the course of a few days or as much as two weeks. Now, traditionally, kumis was produced in a horsehide skin and still is in some of the more traditional societies of the Asiatic steppe. However, commercial production now in Russia and Mongolia is done in plastic, glass, and stainless steel vats. Now, the finished product is very low in alcohol, 2.5% is all. Um, and however, many of the commercial breweries of kumis add additional sugar to boost the kick of the fermentation process a bit. Another process used to uh, raise the alcohol level is uh, freeze distillation. That is where the liquid or where the liquid is allowed to freeze. The water in the mixture freezes first, of course, and it is separated from the unfrozen liquid. And by taking the water off, you are left with a larger percentage of alcohol to solution. Now, it's still thought that kumis has medicinal and wellness properties in Russia and Mongolia. And before the overthrow of the czarist Russian uh, regime and the creation of the Soviet state, there were numerous kumis health resorts along the Russian Riviera. That is uh, the Black Sea, uh, where all the shit's going down now with Ukraine and Russia, Crimea, and that area. Anyway, Anton Chekhov, the great Russian writer and playwright, checked himself into one of these resorts in the late 1800s, early 1900s. I forget the date, doesn't matter. 
in an attempt to cure him, cure himself of tuberculosis. And he drank four bottles of Kumis every day for two weeks, and his disease didn't go away. But he did gain 12 pounds, which was kind of one of the things that uh, they called tuberculosis consumption was because you basically withered away with it. And so at least he kept on a few pounds for a few more weeks. On to number nine, Chicha. From Spanish conquistador Francisco Pizarro to Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, outsiders arriving in the Andean area of South America were introduced to this traditional maize, that is, corn beer. Archaeological evidence has chicha being brewed as far back as the first human incursions into the Andes Mountains in 5000 BCE and has been a tradition that has spread to all of the indigenous peoples through most of South America. Now, beer made from corn doesn't sound so weird. I mean, there's some corn in American brewed light lagers. I mean, it's, 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 a, it's a fine brewing adjunct and it can be added to barley. Uh, rice is done as well as in the brewing at, uh, of Budweiser. Anyway, but it's how it's made that's really kind of odd. First, you take some coarsely ground cornmeal, you dampen it enough so that it holds together in a small bowl, ball, ball, and now you take that ball of cornmeal and you put it in your mouth and chew it until you've made a smooth slurry of cornmeal and saliva. And then you spit it into an earthenware jar or bucket. Oh, I forgot to mention, you have to be a woman to do this. According to Incan brewing tradition, it won't work with men. And in some cultures in South America, the woman has to be a virgin or it won't work at all. I, I, I don't, who knows. Now there's an enzyme in human saliva called, I hope I'm saying this right, petialin. P-T-Y-A-L-I-N. I've never heard of it before in my life. But this uh, saliva, it works in our bodies too. It converts starches and carbohydrates into sugars. And in this case, fermentable sugars. And that's why anytime you eat carbohydrates, you might as well be eating sugar. Just like anytime you have a drink of alcohol, you might as well be having a drink of sugar water. But you know what? Fuck it. This, is, this tastes better than sugar water back to what I was talking about. Now, this slurry of cornmeal that you spit into a bucket is then put into an earthenware cook pot where additional fruits, usually like prickly pear, might be added, then some more water, and it's brought to a low simmer, and it's allowed then to cool, and it's transferred to a fermenting jar, which already has residual yeast in it, and allowed to ferment for a week, and then you drink this corn and spit beer chicha. It's not just for breakfast anymore. It's said to be quite sour. I don't know. I've never drank any chicha. If I ever do go to South America, I'm going to make a point to try to have some of this. I know the spit thing sounds a little gross, but it's been cooked, okay? It's been cooked. So, you know, it got it, they simmered it. It's probably 140 degrees. It killed all that germ, that spit germs, you know? The cooties are gone. Alcohol killed them too, right? Number eight. Now this is a group. This this category number eight on the weird, weird, uh, bizarre alcohol list. Three lizard wine, lizard wine, snake wine, habushu, 
and snake bile wine. Now I've lumped all five of these together because they are just a variation upon the same theme. And they all come to us from Southeastern Asia. That is Vietnam, Laos, China, Okinawa. And here are the basics. You take a reptile, preferably one that is venomous, but your garden variety non-venomous reptile will work in a pinch. Just kill it, put it in a jug. And then pour some strong rice wine or grain alcohol. Does it really fucking matter at this point? Into the jug and let it set for a while, at least a few months. Uh, some people say as long as a year. And then you drink it. Now you have to let it sit a while, especially if the reptile is poisonous, as the venom has to be denatured and neutralized by the ethanol in the alcohol. Now... Ethanol in the alcohol. That was a stu- the ethanol in the rice wine or grain spirits because ethanol is alcohol. I was being redundant there. All of these drinks are thought to be healthy and restorative, and are usually drank in shots. And it'll cure everything, it, from impotence to baldness to cancer, and it gives you lots of energy. Yeah, enough energy to run right to the toilet and fucking puke. In China, lizard and three lizard wine, especially that made with geckos, is thought to invigorate. And three lizard wine, the reason it's better than lizard wine, because there's more lizards. Of course it's better. More lizards, more energy. Now in Vietnam, snake wine promotes vitality and health. Habushu comes from Okinawa and is made with the, the habu snake, which is an Okinawan pit viper. And because the habu snake can go for a year without eating, It is thought to help with energy when the wine is drank, especially of the sexual variety. Now, of these five that I've mentioned, snake bile wine is just a bit different. It's really a cocktail, and it's served at restaurants in Vietnam where a live cobra, yes, a fucking live poisonous snake, is brought to your table... The snake is cut open. It's gallbladder. This has got to be a two-man job. It's got to be. Got to be two guys, maybe three. One to hold its fucking head, one to hold its tail, another to take the knife and cut into it. Anyway, its gallbladder is removed. The gallbladder is cut open. The greenish-black bile of the gallbladder is mixed at your table side with rice wine, like sake, yeah, which is then drank as an aperitif, while the rest of the cobra is rushed off to the kitchen where it's cooked as a meal for you and whoever your guest is at the table. Oh. By the way, a side note, while I was researching this, I found something out that I did not realize. I learned that it's illegal to serve cobra wine in the United States. And it is also illegal to import import live cobras and other non-native pit vipers into the U.S. as pets. Now, you'd have to be a crazy motherfucker to want a cobra or a pit viper as a pet. I think you'd have to be a crazy son of a bitch just to have a constrictor like a boa or a python. That fucker gets around your neck in the middle of the night and you're done. Anyway, only zoological parks and scientific laboratories are able to bring exotic poisonous snakes into this country and then after much scrutiny that and that is after much scrutiny and oversight by the u.s fish and wildlife service now though that might change now because government regulations you know we've been told government regulations they inhibit business growth 
See, they're bad. They're sad. They're very, very bad. If you want to bring poisonous snakes into the country and make money to do so, you should be able to bring poisonous snakes in here. This, these federal regulations are unfair to the poisonous snake, the snake industry in the United States. Yeah, can you imagine if cobras got loose in South Florida? I mean, like all of the pythons and boas that are down there now that have gotten loose. I, Jesus Christ. I'd, I'd, I'd never go outside. Number seven is the Mekong River eel wine. Now, this one's from Laos and could have probably been added to the previous group, but an eel, as we know from last week, is a fish. It's not a reptile. So a mature eel is put in a jug with rice wine and ginseng and other herbs, and it's left to steep for a year, and then it's drank as a delicacy. And for what reason specifically? You guessed it. To make sure you have a nice, healthy erection, of course. Call it Laotian Viagra. Number six, baby mouse wine. Again, this one's from Asia, China to be specific. And it could probably be put in the group of those that I just mentioned before. So, you know, hey, let's take an animal, soak it in alcohol for a year, and then drink it. But mice are mammals. They're not reptiles or fish so it has to go in its own category right right so you take some live baby mice they've got to be alive no more than three days old and you put them in a bottle and you fill it with rice whiskey and you drown the vermin right and then you let it steep for a year now why a year is the magic number in all these recipes i don't know i guess it's just a year baby mice wine is thought to be best for curing of asthma and liver ailments, but it'll work on just about anything else, and including that arrestile dysfunction problem you might be dealing with. Now, the next one has got a real wang to it. At number five, three penis liquor. <laughs> Sorry for the pun. But that one just stood up and I had to smack it. From China, of course it is. This one is also meant as a traditional medicine for male virility. Made from rice wine that was fermented with the addition of deer, dog, and seal penis. Now those who advocate the use of this elixir highly recommend that it is not to be taken by small boys and care should be taken when given to adolescent boys or else they might go nuts. An adult men should not take too much or you'll get that four-hour erection that you should consult your doctor about that they all warn you about on TV. And women shouldn't even smell the stuff. Now, Chicago mixologist Michael Rubel in the Chicago Daily Reader, he reported he had, he had a challenge to make a cocktail from this stuff and he actually tasted it. And to which he said, no one should have more than just a little bitty sip. He said the problem with making a cocktail from it was there really wasn't a mixer strong enough to overcome the fishiness of the seal penis. No, he didn't. I made that part up, but I thought it was funny. Rubel stated that however it was drank or mixed, it was best to be consumed as cold as possible, as, uh, right, uh, right above freezing, and drank as fast as possible. Down the hatch. Now, these first six that I mentioned, they're very odd. You know, it's the kumis, which is the mare's milk, chicha, which is the spit and corn beer, the lizard wine, three lizard wine, snake wine, habusha, snake bile wine, blah, 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 blah. 
Mekong River eel wine, baby mouse wine, and three penis, three penis liqueur. While these are all very strange and kind of gross, the final four are, are, are all of those things and completely fucking whacked out. So here we go at number four. From our neighbors to the north, Canada, comes the Sour Toe Cocktail. Now, firstly, this drink is only available at one place in the entire world, but of course, I suppose you could copy the recipe if you could find a donor. You'll figure out what I mean in just a moment. I need a drink. I need to freshen my drink. More gin, a little more ice, more ice. Nah, I don't need any more mixer. Okay, all right. So, in the sourdough saloon of the downtown hotel in Dawson City, in the Yukon Territory, that's the very, very far northwestern part of Canada, right up along the border with Alaska. You can enjoy the sour toe cocktail. Now, the sour, co- sour Toe Cocktail, excuse me, is not any particular liquor. It's what the additive is. The saloon has a saying, drink it fast or drink it slow, but the, your lips must touch the toe. Yes, an actual preserved human toe. Now, this all started in the 1920s, not the use of the toe in the drink, but this is where it started. A local miner had his big toe removed because of frostbite. Now, not wanting to part with his appendage, which some of us become sentimentally attached to our body parts. I mean, it just happens. This miner, he put the toe in a jar of alcohol. And 50 years later, while cleaning out the miner's cabin, a local found the jar with the toe in it. And he took the toe down to the sourdough saloon at the downtown hotel in Dawson City. And while they're sitting there, I guess they'd had a few cocktails, and somebody said, hey, I dare you to drop that in your drink. And this fella, he did. He took it out of the jar of alcohol that was 50 years old by the way, he dropped it in his drink and he drank the drink but left the toe behind. And then he dared the others to do the same. And thus began, probably on some cold fucking night with nothing else to do in Dawson City, thus began the Sour Toe Cocktail Club. Now, that first toe had only lasted seven years. One evening in 1980, an over-imbibing customer of the sourdough saloon he threw back his cocktail with such such action and violence that he tumbled backwards off of his bar stool and he hit the floor and when he did he swallowed the toe it was not recovered of course although it is said that the fellow did make toilet observations over the next couple of days since that time seven toes have been donated to the saloon and used for the last 37 years. Toe number two was from an amputation of a local because of an infected corn. 
on his big toe. Mm. Um, number three was uh, also from a frostbite victim. Oh, oh, toe number two. What happened to it? Why, why did they have to get toe number three? Well, it finally started falling apart in the drinks. Yes. <laughs> Hmm. Number three came along. It was also from a frostbite victim, and it was also accidentally swallowed. <laughs> uh, number four from a source that has been lost to time was stolen by a local hunter. We don't know what he did with it. Uh, toes number five and six were donated by a Yukon old-timer, who in exchange for the two toes, he was given free drinks for he and his nurses. <laughs> you can't make this shit up. Anyway, uh, uh, toe number seven was donated by a fellow who had, had had his toe amputated as a result of serious diabetes. And number eight, and the current sour toe... <laughs> It arrived by mail at the saloon in a box in, in, with a jar of alcohol inside a box with a note saying, don't wear open-toed sandals when mowing your lawn. <laughs> Sorry. Oh. Sorry about that. <laughs> oh, where was I? Oh, okay. Oh, the number seven toe, by the way, that was the one before that arrived before the, the lawnmower accident toes. It uh, was the only toe that was deliberately swallowed. Uh, the man that did so had $500 added to his bar tab. Uh, and since then, the, the saloon has raised the fine for deliberately consuming or chewing on the toe to $2,500 Canadian, which <laughs> means that, uh, that a human amputated human toe is worth about, I don't know, with current exchange rates, uh, $150 U.S. I don't know. I'd have to look. <laughs> Sour Toe Cocktail. Sourdough Saloon, Downtown Hotel, Dawson City, Yukon Territory. Go there. I'm going there someday, I promise. I got to see it. I'm not going to drink it. I got to see the son of a bitch, though. All right. Number three falls under the category of you make do with what you got. Seagull wine. This shit is unbelievable. This wine is... Calling this wine a wine is kind of like calling bullshit a food. Yes, it might have a very small amount of alcohol in the same way that bullshit has some nutrients, but the delivery system in each leaves something to be greatly desired. And if it weren't for the two drinks after this, you would absolutely say this is the grossest thing that had ever been concocted. Seagull wine is said to come to us from the Inuit people of the extreme latitudes of human habitation and the furthest reaches of the northern hemisphere, the polar areas of the Arctic. Now, as can be imagined, there is very little in the way of vegetation in the Arctic, except some tundra grasses, all right? 
which means there's little in way of fermentable sugars available to these people. So what do the Inuits do? They, it is said, they take a seagull, dead or alive, they put it in a jar or jug of water, and they leave it in the sunlight so that, that would mean they'd have to do it in the summertime from May until the end of July, when they have almost 24 hours of sun. Of course, they have sun all the way until October, and so I guess the sun starts coming up sometime in March. Anyway... And when the bird and the water have finally fermented into kind of one thing, the liquid is drained off and is drank. Excuse me, drunk. Supposedly, those who have drunk the stuff, including a Yahoo News reporter named Susan Donahue, who have drank this stuff, they all say the same thing. It's horrible, it made almost all of them sick, and it was probably toxic. Donahue wrote... If you opened up a Toyota's carburetor and drank the leftover fluid from inside, that would be pretty close. It goes down hard and settles in even worse. But I must say, it sure gets people inebriated in a hurry, and the next day's hangover is nothing short of spectacular. You feel like you've been repeatedly beaten over the head by a giant, well, seagull. And that's the quote. Now, that is the story you will find on the internet. And now I'm going to tell you what I said at the beginning. Seagull wine is unbelievable, and it's bullshit. It's probably completely false. I won't say it is for a fact, but my best hunch is that it was posted as fake news. The earliest post on it was seen, uh, that I saw, was posted in September of 2010, and has since been picked up by hundreds of websites over and over and over. Now, firstly, if the claims first appeared on the Internet seven years ago, somebody somewhere would have done further research into this beverage, and there would be additional research out there. And there isn't. And chemically speaking, fermentationally speaking, there are no carbs in a fucking seagull, at least very little, that can be converted into fermentable sugars. And even if there were, it would be so low in alcohol content that the alcohol would never get, content would never get high enough to where it would neutralize the bacteria that's in this rotten fucking bird. Now, additionally, there are no first-person accounts anywhere of seagull wine, only second-hand accounts, and all of them coming from this first post by somebody who quoted... Susan Donahue on drinksfeed.com in September of 2010. And this person, Susan Donahue, that was first quoted, I looked and looked and looked, and I could find no evidence of her existence. And Googling Inuit culture, seagull wine, it doesn't come up except for the same secondary courses and all these other fucked up websites that have been posting it for seven years since the first post in 2010. But you know why I'm pretty, absolutely pretty certain that this doesn't exist? Here's why. No video. Somebody at some point in time would have made a fucking trip up to northern Iceland or Greenland or wherever this story might be 
there's a couple of legends. One says it came from Greenland. One came from Iceland. There were people in Alaska said, I know Eskimos. I never heard of them drinking this stuff. Well, you know why? Because it doesn't exist. Now, somebody at some time would have put up a video, had it, had, does it exist, of them drinking it. The one thing we have in abundance in this society is people looking for their 15 minutes of fame. And a video of them drinking seagull wine, that would nail it. That, would, that shit would go viral in a minute. So, it's fake news. And on the fake news meter, I give seagull wine five Kellyanne Conways. I didn't mean to fool you with the story. I just wanted to make a point about things that you read on the internet. And the next one, well, I'm not sure about, but it appears to be pretty true, at least in some, in some sense. At number two is Gilpin Family Whiskey. Now, if this is a hoax, it's one of the best ones ever done on the internet. James Gilpin is a real person and he claims to have made this whiskey. He lives in England, and he's an artist, designer, researcher, and somewhat of a scientist. I couldn't find any academic background, but he claims he is. And he is a real person. But whether his whiskey is what he says it is or not, well, if it isn't real, then a number of reputable journalism outlets have been fooled by him, including... Wired magazine of the United Kingdom that it, who interviewed Gilpin back in 2010. Now here's <clears throat> excuse me here's Gilpin's claim. I got a dry throat. I need a drink. Gilpin takes the urine of elderly diabetic patients, and because of the high levels of sugar in their urine, he is able to distill alcohol from the piss. Think that, that just let that sink in for a minute. Now, this whiskey is not for sale. There are some bottles of it, and Gilpin says he has them, that only he and his associates and friends ever have a drink of. Now, the Whiskey Exchange, which is an extremely reputable blog out of the United Kingdom on whiskey and spirits, they read this story on Wired, Wired Space, or excuse me, their website, and they said the same thing that I did when I first read it. What the fuck? Now, they looked into Gilpin's claim, and here's what they found. Number one, nobody has actually seen James Gilpin doing the distilling of this diabetic urine. That's number one. Number two, when confronted with how he turned a neutral urine-based spirit, much like piss vodka, into a whiskey, he admitted that he blended the neutral urine-based spirit with blended scotch whiskey to give it color, flavor, and body. Mm -hmm. Now, when the whiskey exchange asked if they could receive a sample of the whiskey, Gilpin said it was not for public consumption, and he was really doing just an art project to show how urine could be recycled for other uses. Which I say, fuck that. We already know how to turn urine back into drinking water. It's reverse osmosis, something like that. I, I, fuck. They do it on the fucking space station up in the, up in the, up in the space. Anyway, 
<laughs> but of course, if this were true, the whiskey exchange noted, uh, changing urine into whiskey might be a thrifty Scotsman's uh, wet dream. Number four, when the whiskey exchange asked if they could take some of the diab <clears throat> if they could talk to some of the diabetics who contributed the raw materials to the project, Gilpin told them that the participants did not wish that their privacy be interfered with. And then finally, the Whiskey Exchange contacted a medical scientist in the field of diabetic medicine, and she told him that it would be possible to distill alcohol from urine of diabetics, but the percent of alcohol in the distillate would be extremely low. So, what we know is this. James Gilpin, of his Gilpin family whiskey, as he calls it, claims to have made this whiskey from urine, and he claims that he and his friends have tasted it. That's what we know. But he's covered his ass, he's covered his ass with enough facts and suppositions that there could be some truth to this. So, I give this, on the fake news meter, I give this three and a half Trump tweets. Sorry, Dave. And the last one is positively true. I saw it on a video. I read, I read an Eastern Asian medical journal entry on the net. I didn't believe it when I first saw it. I thought, this has got to be fucking fake. It's, it can't be real, but it's true. Number one on the bizarre alcohol list is Song Sul, Korean poop wine. Yes, I said poop. Now, I do not believe in belittling other cultures for their beliefs, but it seems that the Koreans have a fascination with shit, literally. They have a museum outside of Seoul called the Toilet Culture Park, which is dedicated to the role of shitting and feces in Korean society. Don't believe me? Look it up, all right? A, tra a traditional delicacy in Korean cuisine was the pork meat from pigs that had only been fed human excrement. A, a traditional saying in Korea is, there is never any dog feces around when you need some. Whatever the fuck that means. <laughs> During the Korean Joseon Dynasty, which ended in 1910, there's never any dog turds around when you need one. Ah. <laughs> Fuck me. Oh, Jesus Christ. You know what? The, the, the world's just so fucked up. Anyway. Oh, yeah. Uh... <laughs> During the Chosun, Chosun Dynasty, which ended in 1910, there was an official attendant to the emperor whose job it was... After the emperor took a shit, he would observe, smell, and taste the feces to be certain that the emperor was in good health. And that was thought to be a good job. <laughs> but the most bizarre thing in Korean culture has to be Song Sul, Korean poop wine. Now, poop wine culture was never something you didn't go out to have a cocktail made of poop wine it was a medicine right and it died out it kind of died out in the 60s it went underground guess what the government started cracking down on these people that were selling the poop wine no shit 
Yeah, I wonder why they started cracking down. But the practice is still followed by traditional medicine practitioners in the country. Now, it is thought that poop wine, when drank, acts in three ways. As an antibiotic, an analgesic, and it helps in rejuvenation. According to Dr. Lee Chang-Su of Seoul, this poop wine, somebody that would normally take a week, or let's say normally take two weeks to recover from a malady, he would recover in one week if he took the poop wine. Dr. Lee also claims that the best poop to make poop wine comes from a four to seven year old child. Dr. Lee claims that the poop from a smaller child doesn't smell as strong as that from older children and adults. I'll have to take his word for it. Although I do know this, baby shit fucking stinks. I changed diapers for my nieces and nephews years ago, and I was like, fuck this. I'm not having any kids. Anyway. (laughs) Because it's illegal for Dr. Lee to obtain poop directly from from children, he has to work out an arrangement with young mothers, paying them for their children's poop. But he first deworms the kids with an anthelmintic, I think I said that right, anthelmintic, an anti, a dewormer. It's what you give Fido when he's fucking eat, eating shit out in the yard. You give him that. Anyway, he gives these kids these war- deworming medicines to get rid of parasites because he says the poop must be pure. <laughs> the poop is kept in a cool environment for three to five days a re- in a refrigerator, for example. And then it is mashed and mixed with warm water and left to ferment on its own for 24 hours. Okay, guys, I'm going to try to straighten my shit out here. This is funny. Uh, At the end of that time, the poop water is strained into a fermenting crock with some cooked rice, and it's kept at 90 degrees for for an entire week to 10 days, where it will reach about 9% alcohol. The liquid is then strained off of the rice, and it's ready to be consumed. Now, if that's the medicine that my doctor prescribed, well, I'm getting a new doctor. Or I'll die. I ain't drinking shit water. But apparently the old timers in Korea, and a lot of them still believe in the properties. And this is is what's really fucked up. You know how they say what was once old is now new? Well, guess what? Uh, It seems as if There's a a very small but growing number of young people in Korea, of young people in Korea who are learning about and starting to drink poop wine. Now, I found an awesome video, and we're going to upload it to the website. It's there right now. I promise you it's there right now. From Vice News in Japan, their Japanese bureau, it's a young female reporter. Her name is Yuka Yoshida. I think I said that right. Now, she goes to Seoul to see Dr. Lee. They make a, It's about a 20-minute show, and she learns about Song Sul, the Korean poop wine. Now, you have to watch this. It's on the, uh, well, I'll make sure it's on the website right now. Go there, watch it. This, this poor girl, she, yes, she drank some of it. And that's all I'm going to tell you. you. You need to see it for yourself. Uh, it'll be up there on the blog, along with the... Sir Stroming video from last week, the fermented uh, herring. I'll have that up there too. Uh, 
Now, as soon as the podcast is over, go and watch that video. <laughs> then you'll scratch your head. Or you might shake your head. I, I'm still shaking my head right now. I need a drink. Hmm. What a bunch of shit. You know, people are nuts. That, that, that's all I can say. People are fucking crazy. Or as Mary Lee says, and this is the best line ever. She said this years ago. Everybody's fucked up. It's just different levels of fucked upness. So there it is, kids. That's this week ep- this week's episode. And this is your drunk Uncle Al leaving you with the words of the legendary drinking man, W.C. Fields, who once said, don't drink the water, the fish fucking it. Well, they also shit and piss in it, W.C., but still, I'll drink that before I'll drink Korean poop wine. History, episode 19, was written and produced by me, Alan Tapman. The technical director of history is Brian McGeorge. History, the story of alcohol is a wild Irish production, all rights reserved, and is recorded at River's Edge Studios and Patty Malone's Irish Pub in Jefferson City, Missouri. And the reason I'm talking so fast is i got to get through this so I can get to the special announcements. Don't go anywhere. To learn more about our local pub, find us on Facebook, Patty Malone's Irish Pub. This week's phrase for you podcast listeners and patrons at the pubs is... You can never find a dog turd when you need one. That's it. Tell your server or bartender that phrase and get a special offer off of any 20-ounce draft or single-pour spirits or mixed drinks. I promise there's no Korean poop wine. Anyway, that's this Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, March 28th, 29th, 30th, between 3 and 9 p.m. Again, you can never find a dog turd when you need one. Only one special per person per day, and this offer is not valid to anyone under the age of 21. We've got a new Patreon patron this week. Thank you, Terrence Duffy. Thank you very much. Terrence is now a member of the History Patreon patron community. And you know what? It's been another month. I'm telling you, five months going now. And I want to thank all of you who are Patreon patrons from the bottom of my heart for believing in us, listening to us, and helping Brian and I make history every week. So... Cheers to all of you out there, Tim and Tara McVeigh, Tim Emmel, Tony Rehagen, Frank Burkhead, Zach Paul, Dave Fisher, Ethan Cordray, Tom and Lindsay Reichardt, Justin and Kayla Bosca, George and Anna Carr, and now, Mr. Terrence Duffy. Thank you. Cheers. You guys are a million. And if you would like to be a supporting patron patron, and you're not yet, it's really easy. And it's only you can, as little as $5 a month. You can give more if you like, but as little as $5 a month. And this comes to you every Tuesday. I better knock on wood and hope I don't get sick. Anyway, this comes to you every Tuesday for $5 a month. And this is how you do it. Go to the website, and in the upper right-hand corner of the page, click on support, and there you'll find out how to become a monthly contributor to the program. You'll be helping us to offset web hosting and podcast platform fees, as well as underwriting artist expenses related to recording, editing software, time spent researching, writing, recording, editing, blah, 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 I said editing twice. Thanks again. All of your support is so greatly appreciated. Thanks so much. 
And now those special announcements, there's actually two of them. First, we're going to do a live recording of history at Patty Malone's on Saturday, April 22nd, to mark the six months that History the Podcast has been coming to you over the air. Now, I know it's not yet six months on April 22nd, but May's a busy month for me, and I just couldn't fit it in in May. So we're doing it on April 22nd. And what the show is going to consist of, it's going to be all questions submitted by you, the listeners. Now, you can do one of two things. Uh, You can either send me a question on the email, that's cheers at history.com, or you can write it out in a note and hand it to me down at the pub. Uh, Don't tell it to me and expect me to remember it because I suffer from Alzheimer's and I barely remember what I had for breakfast. Anyway, so that's Saturday, April 22nd, a live recording of history at Patty Malone's Irish Pub. We're probably going to have a mystery guest or two there as well. We'll start the show sometime around 9 o'clock or shortly, depending upon when we get some tables after the dinner rush. And we hope to see as many of you as possible that can make it. So remember, send me your questions for the broadcast and send those to cheers at history.com for the live recording of History at Petty Malone's Irish Pub on Saturday, April 22nd. It'll be a great night. We're going to have a lot of fun at the pub. Now, announcement number two. Mark this down on your calendars and you heard it here first. Another history happening. You know, last month we had our whiskey tasting at the pub. Well, got another event and it's an all day event. History in conjunction with Patty Malone's and Fectal Beverage, the distributors of Guinness, Miller Lite, Coors Light, and all of the fine drafts on tap at Patty Malone's Irish Pub. We invite you to our first ever Mothers, Sisters, and Brothers and Baseball Outing. Sunday, May 21st, we're off for a tour of Mothers Brewing in Springfield, Missouri. And after that tour, we're going to take in a game at Hammond Field to see the Springfield Cardinals versus Northwest Arkansas. Springfield Cardinals, of course, are the Texas League AA affiliate of our own beloved St. Louis Cardinals. Now, this package includes coach transportation from Patty Malone's to Springfield and back, complimentary beverages on the coach, a personal guided tour of Mother's Brewing. I don't know if it'll be the owner Jeff himself or one of his senior people, but it'll include beer samples and lunch at the brewery. This package also includes dugout box seat tickets or better at Hammond Field for the game and a box supper or it might be in a bag, anyway, on the coach as we get back to Jefferson City. It's an entire day of great fun with friends and booze and beer, only $59 per person, but here's the deal. If you're already a Patreon patron or you sign up between before midnight this Friday, that's March 31st, if you sign up to be a Patreon patron, you're going to get an additional special deal with this package. Now, I'll be in touch with all of you Patreon patrons to let you know, but you've got three days, folks. Let's see, this is the 28th Tuesday, if you're listening to me when you should be. And you know what? You should be caught up. You need to keep caught up because you'll miss out on these special deals. But if you sign up before midnight on Friday as a Patreon patron for as little as $5 a month, you get a special benefit in regards to this tour. So, 
That's the mother, sisters, and brothers in baseball outing. That's Sunday, May 21st. And there's only 50 seats, so move fast. To reserve your tickets, email me at cheers at history.com. Shoutouts to everyone who shared and retweeted this week, especially any of our new listeners. Thank you. Welcome to the community. Thanks, folks. We appreciate the support and helping us to spread the gospel of history. I want to give a special shout out to an old friend of mine from Hannibal High School, Mary Lynn Richards, Mary Lynn Paff Richards, and her dad, Dwayne Paff, who are all the way over in Hungary. And she told me, she sent me a note, said she was going to listen to me while they were in Hungary this week on holidays. And wishing you safe travels, Mary Lynn, Dwayne. Uh, you guys, uh, I hope you're having a great time. And we'll see you soon when you get back to the States. Please follow us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash history. Please like and share the post about the episodes when they come out each week. That's the best way we can get the word out to the people. And if you've got a friend that's a history nerd like me or likes to have a drink like me or has tendonitis in their elbow because they drank too much like me, or maybe they just like a podcast with a little something quirky, well, tell them about history. It's greatly appreciated. Find us on Twitter, at History, and if you're a fan of the show and so moved, a review on iTunes or a like on SoundCloud or Stitcher would be fantastic. Thank you very much. Any questions or show ideas, send me an email to cheers at history.com, and you can find more information about the podcast on our website and blog at history.com, as well as links to videos that I'm going to put up, have Brian put up. Uh, I'm going to email them to him tonight. Theme music for history is provided by Ben Sound. Do you need music for a project? Then contact www.bensound.com and see what solutions they have for you. That's B-E-N-Sound.com. And again, to all of you, thank you for listening. Thanks so much. I promise I will keep trying to get better. Have a great week. Be safe. Drink responsibly. Don't drink and drive. And so until next week, if I don't see you at the pub, I'll see you right here on the podcast. And of course, Marilee, you are the measure of my dreams, honey. And so everybody else, I said, listen until you heard the fat drunk uncle sing. Well, I got to get drunk and I sure do dread it because I know just what I'm going to do. Go spend all my money calling everybody, honey, and wind up singing the blues. I'll spend my whole paycheck on some old wrecking brother. I can name you a few. Well, I got to get drunk and I sure do dread it because I know just what I'm going to do. Well, I got to get drunk. I can't stay sober. There's a lot of good people downtown. Like to hear me holler, see me spend my dollar, and I wouldn't think of letting them down. Now, there's a lot of doctors that tell me, boy, you better start slowing it down but there's more old drunks than there is old doctors so i think we'll have another round well i gotta get drunk and i sure do dread it i know just what i'm gonna do gonna spend my money calling everybody honey and wind up singing the blues i'll spend my whole paycheck on some old wreck and brother i can name you a few well i gotta get drunk and i sure do dread it because i know just what i'm gonna do so long everyone <laughs>